This is Dot. This is Lindsay. And this is Inside My Favorite Manuscript, the podcast where we talk to people who love manuscripts about the manuscript they love the most. Today we're talking to Catherine Maud. Catherine is Assistant Professor of Women and Gender Studies in the Department of English at the American University of Beirut. Her research centers on women's writing and writing for women in the early Middle Ages. Her most recent project concerns addresses to women in guidance texts, sermons, and saints' lives, putting women's commissioning of work at the center of literary history. And this work was published in 2021 in the book, Addressing Women in Early Medieval Religious Texts. We are really excited to have Catherine on. And now I'm going to turn to you, Catherine, and say, why don't you tell us about, about your favorite manuscript? Thank you. And thank you for having me. Uh, so my favorite manuscript is called British Library Additional 33241. Uh, it doesn't have a very exciting shelf mark. Uh, and it's also known as the Encomium Emmae Reginae. So the praise song of Emma the Queen. <laughs> and I like this manuscript for a lot of reasons. But one thing about it that I want to kind of tell everybody about first is that it's very small. So the manuscripts are 11 by 17 and a half centimeters. So a standard paperback in the UK, at least, is 19.8 by 12.9. So it's smaller than paperback size. It's like a little uh, manuscript that'll fit in your hands. And this manuscript, we think, was the presentation copy of the text, Encomium Mi Regina, that's a modern scholarly title, but we think it was the presentation copy of this text for the queen in the title, Queen Emma, who was an early medieval queen. She was first uh, the queen of Athelred, famously the unready, and secondly, the queen of Knut. And this text was commissioned by her after the death of Knut, her second husband, when she was ruling England together with her two sons. Mm -hmm. And so this manuscript is near contemporary manuscript of the text. And it was written between 1040 and 1042. So we can be quite precise about it because it was written for her before her second son died. And so we know it was written between the death of her husband and the death of her son that she was ruling with. Because when her son died, there was a big, uh, Edward the Confessor was her, her son, and he took over. He stopped ruling jointly with his mother and his brother when his brother died. And so we know the manuscript can be dated quite precisely. And so the reason I like it, apart from it being very tiny, is that the beginning of the manuscript, the first uh, page of the manuscript, has an illustration of it being presented to Queen Emma. So it's the beautiful oh. Oh, image of mm -hmm. Emma. And she is seated on a throne with a very fancy crown with some kind of foliage decoration under open curtains. And her two sons are in the margins, literally in the margins of the image. Uh, so that's Edward and Hartha Knut, uh, her two sons, one son by her first husband, one son by her second husband. And they're both in the margins of the image looking in. And then the monk writer um, is kneeling at her feet presenting the book to her and his hands are kind of covered with a cloth 
Um, so I really, this is one of only two uh, images of uh, a named early medieval woman pre-conquest. So we have lots mm -hmm. of women, but this is one of only two named women. The other one is also of Emma. That's in the Newminster Libra Vitae. Um, and so she, in England, right? And so she is uh, in the front of this manuscript. And I think it's a really, it's a really interesting text too, but I love this image of her, um, especially because the text ends by saying, and the three of them uh, and her two sons are in, uh, <laughs> the three of them uh, shared rule uh, harmoniously. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so that's how the text ends. But when you look at the image, in the image, she is very much not sharing rule harmoniously. She's <laughs> absolutely front and center. And her two sons are like squished right into the corner of the manuscript image. Yeah, they look they look almost like they're peeking. They're peeking yeah. in like she is allowing them to sort of peek in and see what's happening. Right, absolutely. They're kind of almost looking around the corner of the of the yeah. border, the kind of decorated border. So they're really right in that corner. Um, so I think that's uh, one of the reasons, for other reasons, but that's one of the reasons that it's my favorite. Because I think this image is so, it's such an interesting image to me. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so when I, so I became a bit obsessed with this image. So the first chapter of my PhD I wrote about this text and manuscript many years ago now, back in 2011, when I started my PhD. Um, it was the first chapter that I wrote and it never made it into the PhD and it's not in the book. And I know that lots of academics will have this experience that you have this kind of one research pathway that just like will not leave your head. And for me, it was the curtains in this picture. So mm -hmm. if you at the curtains the curtains there's an archway over the top of the image and there's these two curtains that part over the image and they go through the columns they go through the windows mm -hmm. of the columns and then out the other side and i spent hours looking at images of curtains <laughs> to try and find another image that had curtains that looked like this and i couldn't find one uh, and in any other images of women, any other images in contemporary manuscripts of, of women. And I spent a long time looking. And then I realized that the nearest analog, or one of the nearest analogs, is in evangelist portraits, portraits of the gospel writers. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, right. So there's the, there's a manuscript called the Boulogne Gospels. It's manuscript 11 at the Bibliothèque Municipale uh, in Boulogne-sur-Mer, um, which I'd love to go to. I've never visited. But the curtains over an image of St. John in this manuscript open in the same way. Uh, over the head of our of of the the gospel writer of the evangelist, and he also you'll notice he has a book right, and mm. under the book there's a cloth, just like the book in the Emma portrait, the book of the encomium itself. So I began to look for other analogs, and I thought that the encomium image, the image in um, the additional 33241 manuscript in the British Library, I think that it's a deliberate decision to make Emma look like a gospel writer. That's so interesting oh. to do that. Because this is also the 
this text is like a real it's it's really conflicted and and it's a real it's a text that is trying to rewrite contemporary history from Emma's mm. point of view. So it has a story about Bain, who was Knut's father, her second husband, a story about Knut, the second book, and then the third book is about Knut's death and Emma and her sons taking over. Um, and it doesn't mention her first husband, Athelred, at all. It doesn't even mention him when talking about her two sons, Edward and Alfred, by Athelred. It doesn't mention him at all. He's just completely washed out of the picture. And so I think that the, the evangelist portrait in the front of this manuscript, you know, it looks like a gospel writer. I think it's got those kind of connotations of authority and truth. And I think it's trying to get across the sense that, you know, you can really trust the story that this book is telling. And because we think it was Emma's presentation copy, um, that's an argument that's been made in the past. I think that it, that makes it really cool because, you uh, it demonstrates kind of how she wanted to be seen, right? You don't give a queen an image of herself that you think she's not going to like. So it, it also has kind of imperial elements. She's wearing this kind of very fancy crown, which kind of looks like the crown of a Carolingian ruler. Catherine Karkoff mm. makes this argument in the Art of Anglo-Saxon England. She makes this argument about the kind of uh, crown looking like the crown of Charlemagne or Charles the Bald or these kind of big imperial Carolingian rulers. But also, I think, yeah, that it that it is kind of uh, that focus on truth. You know, this this book is telling you the truth is the kind of uh, undercurrent. So you've used the term. I just I'm just going to ask for a, for a definition. You've used the the term presentation copy, mm. and I'm just wondering if wondering if you can explain for a little bit what what a presentation copy is versus any other copy of a book. So in terms of the encomium, we actually don't have any other contemporary copies. This is the only one we have. But the presentation copy, Emma commissioned this text. She asked for it to be written. The writer says in the prologue very explicitly that she asked for it to be written and that it's all about her praise. He talks about it as a circle. He says, you know, it begins with the praise of Emma and it goes all the way through this story and it comes back round to the praise of her at the end. Right. Uh, and so this copy, um, I talk about it as a presentation copy because we think it was the copy that the writer, the kind of good copy that the writer had made up in order to give to Emma um, to show to show that he'd done his job. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and it had because it has the presentation miniature at the beginning. So it, it, it is an image of the writer giving the book to Emma. Right. Uh, that this is the book. This one right here is the book that she is being given in the image. There, it's very meta. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and that often happens, right? Like the that kind of uh, that happens quite a bit in manuscripts, but we also see it in there's a uh, church in Cambridge that has a statue of the benefactor holding the church. Oh wow! So you have that kind of, I think. Medieval art, a lot of bits of medieval art's quite interested in, yeah, almost like nesting dolls. So you get the mm -hmm. picture of the book that's being presented in the book that is being presented. Yeah. So are there other copies of this text? You said that this is the early, this is the only early copy, but was it copied then later on as well? Yes. So we do have one later medieval copy, uh, which is 13th century. And that was found quite recently. It's actually, it's in the National Library in Copenhagen. Oh. And it's really interesting because it has a different ending. 
So I told you that this copy of the manuscript ends with, you know, here are the happy sharers of rule, you know, the mother and her two sons happily ruling together. We all get along so well. <laughs> like, this is very chill. There's like nothing to see here. We're all having a lovely time hanging out. But the other manuscript, the 13th century manuscript, is, it's 13th century. That one, it's later medieval anyway. It might be 1300s, 14th century. But that later medieval manuscript finishes, and Edward was a wonderful king and a great son. Ah. Uh. Uh-huh. Not in exactly those words, but that's right, right. <laughs> um, and so, what has happened at that point is that Hatha Knut has died. He dies in quite mysterious circumstances. This is a sign he chokes to death at a banquet in front of lots of people. Nothing to see here. No, not not mysterious at all. Um, uh-huh. This this isn't. By the way, this is this is personal speculation, not historical fact. But I always thought it was quite suspicious that he kind of suddenly dies, and then Edward takes over, uh, who is Edward the Confessor, right? Uh, kind of last, well, almost last early medieval king before the Norman invasion, and then he banishes Emma. Mm to her country mansion, and uh, she lives there for the rest of her life. She She's absolutely cut out of politics, and so she lives there until her death. And so it's not in some ways that surprising to me that she had commissioned a very speedy rewrite of the end of the text, um, mm. but it, it didn't work. That's very interesting. So how old would she have been when she was banished? And, and how old was Edward the Confessor? Do you know? Like, I, it's just, it's so hard for me. Like, was she 40? Was she 60? I just don't, you know, it's okay if you don't know the answer. Well, no, I'm, I'm trying to think about it. She marries, so she has three children with Athelred. Um, Edward, Alfred, um, and a girl whose name I don't remember. Well, maybe we don't know. Um, and then she has two children with Knut, Hartha Knut, classic father-son naming there, anyway. <laughs> um, Knut and Hartha Knut. And uh, she has a daughter, Gorda, who becomes, uh, she, she's kind of sent abroad to marry. Um, and so she's had five children and it's 1042. So she would have been in her I think she's in her 40s at this point. Okay. Um, but don't quote me on that. <laughs> okay. We're just guessing here. I just and I was just I was just um I was just curious cuz it's Yeah. always you know. Yeah, Lindsay, do you have any questions at this point? Not so much a question as an observation. The very first thing that I thought of when I saw this image was the gates of Moria from the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> because of the archway and the because like of the, the archway and the way yeah. that the curtains are sort of wrapping around the columns and those curly cues up at the very top. Well, you know, Tolkien was an early English scholar, so yes, it's, not, it's not impossible, right, that he saw, I mean, he, he will have known this image. This is a very kind of, uh, well, quote unquote famous, I think famous is a bit dramatic, but famous within the circles of early medieval English scholars. So I wonder, yeah, there might be something there. Even the way that Emma's crown is positioned sort of central in the image, it's, it's just like the gates of Moria. Yeah. Um, 
it's just really the, the last thing I expected to see was you know something that screams Lord of the Rings in this yeah. manuscript. Yeah. I'm looking, I'm actually doing a little search because I got curious because you're right. It does have the wraparound. It's the, tr it's like trees growing up the side mm -hmm. that are, so they're wrapping from the bottom. And the, the Tolkien drawing. Yeah. And the Tolkien drawing. Yeah. But I think that's, I mean, this is, this is from the, from the movie. Um, it's the same in the book. Is it the same in the book? Yeah. Cause yeah, Tolkien was, uh, was an early English a scholar of early England and took a lot of inspiration in his fiction from that. So yeah, it was a joke when I was, so I did my MA in medieval studies at the university of Leeds. And there was always a joke because he worked at Tolkien worked at the university of Leeds for many years and the Parkinson tower, um, you'll know it at the university of Leeds is this very tall white tower with a clock on the top. Uh, and the joke was always that that was the, the uh, inspiration for the eye of Sauron. <laughs> I, I the Parkinson building was like looking down upon us. Um, <laughs> I love it. I love it. I wonder if there's truth to that. I mean, who knows? I'm sure he took inspiration from like all sorts of places. So, so maybe so. Great. Well, I love that. I love that image. And I love, I love the context of this, of this manuscript too. the whole, it just sounds very, it's like very complicated and it's very like, we're, we're covering, we're covering almost like she's covering up because clearly like it was not all, you know, roses and happiness. No, indeed not. So I just looked it up. So she died in 1052. Um, she was born in 984. So she died at around 68. So she would have been actually a little older than I said when this manuscript was written, around in her late 50s, actually, 58. Um, which I also think is very interesting. There's a really uh, interesting collection of essays called Middle-Aged Women in the Middle Ages. I don't know if you know it. Um, it's great. But it's, yeah, a scholarly collection of essays. Um, Sunni Brodowska at the University of Bangor um, edited it, I think. I don't know whether it was alone. But uh, it had kind of made this argument about, like, the, the kind of middle-aged woman in in. Uh, I think that that's kind of interesting to, to think about with Emma at this point, right? She has two five grown-up children she has been the queen of two kings Knut dies in 1035 her second husband she then has the kind of real complications of serial royal monogamy in that she has three potential at least two potential heirs and actually three her son Alfred as well the youngest son so she has Edward the first legitimate son of her first husband and Hartha Knut the first legitimate mm -hmm. son of second husband her second husband was king after her first husband what are these two half brothers going to do you know and then actually um at, for a while Harold Harefoot who was the son of her first husband's first unclear whether wife or concubine and he right. uh, is in conflict with them too for the throne so we have oh a lot of so he would have been a, the half brother of her first children on the mm -hmm. other side and so there's like a lot of uh there's a lot of kind of complex dynamics that are going on and I feel like I think one of the reasons I like the manuscript so much is I feel like it tries to deal with these both textually um but also visually and another way that it tries to deal with it textually is by picking out the names of all of the important figures in a different script so in general that in a kind of Caroline Minuscule it's a really lovely script actually it's very easy to read this is why I became an early medievalist none of that yes <laughs> 
<laughs> none of that scratchy secretary hand for me, like only beautiful, easy to read. Uh, Carlo Mitchell. But if you have a look, for example, on, let me see, so folio uh, 18 recto, you'll see that both Spain and Knut's name are picked out in a different script. They're kind of capitalized oh. and kind of half. Mm-hmm. And that's true for the whole manuscript. So all of the all of our kind of key figures, so Spain and Knut are there, um, 48 recto, although in lots of other places too, you'll see Emma's name is picked out in, in the capitals as well. Um, and her two sons are right at the top of 48 recto. Um, it's picked out in, in a different script. And that's true, just mm-hmm. the whole manuscript does that. And I think it's another visual way of trying to negotiate all these complicated family dynamics because it makes it seem really easy, right? You've got Spain, you've got Knut, and then you've got Emma and her sons taking over, right? One single standard family line. But actually, obviously, that's not what was going on. You know, you had lots of half-brothers and half-sisters and competing claims to the throne. But what this manuscript mm-hmm. is trying to do is, both visually and kind of textually, is trying to trying to convey that everything everything's going to be fine, you know, this very kind of smooth transfer of power. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, I think those, those those kind of moments in the manuscript where they pick pick out in the capitals is really like a nice element yeah. of that. Yeah. So smooth, everything is fine. And the reason that it's smooth and fine is because you have Emma and she is the sort of central person around around which everyone else because they're all her children. Well, I guess except there's a one who's not her child, but you know, there's yeah, there's that. Well, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, like we try and we try and you know forget about him. He doesn't. We we'll forget about him. We won't. We won't mention uh, him. But exactly. So Emma's is really, I think, and also the kind of legitimacy of her children to rule comes through her. Her. Right? Mm-hmm. And so there's there is also that, and I think that that's also what the frontispiece, that image of Emma, is trying to do, is saying, look, you know, I am important i am uh, a guarantor of authority and truth and my two sons through me through my relationships with their respective fathers are kind of um and especially you know it's kind of important for edward because unless he wants to skip Knut, right who is the pat the, the mo- immediately prior king unless he wants to skip that completely and go back to his father who was defeated in battle it was actually kind of a weak you know on athelred the unready we call him in modern english but it's unrad badly advised um so mm-hmm. he's defeated in battle so there is a kind of way in which edward's claim to the throne is also kind of coming now through emma and her relationship with the danish rulers that has just been mm-hmm. around and you know in the text there's lots of it's kind of a shame there's not more images in it because the text is full of imagery it talks about the kind of golden ships of spain and Knut coming to conquer coming to conquer England and it talks about especially the ones for, for Knut it it talks about them as kind of um, these beautiful golden boats that kind of come in uh, and I always yeah I always thought that it would be it would it would make a really beautiful illu- illustration there aren't any other contemporary illustrations in the manuscript although there are a few marginal drawings Mm-hmm. So we can take a we can take a look at those if you like. But I did I did want to. So this is really interesting because you mentioned before that the text doesn't mention Ethelred. No, not at all. all. But it sounds like it does. It does, you know it talks about Knut and and 
because Ethelred lost in battle. So mm-hmm. I'm just, I don't think about like history politics very much. So this is all sort of very interesting to me because she's clearly, she's, she's doing a very specific thing in this text and like ignoring the husband that got beaten and holding up the husband who came in with the golden ships. And it was, I suppose it was great. Like, it's great that he's come and he's going to take over England, you know, which is just real kind of interesting. I don't know. Yeah, and it's interesting too, right, because there's there's this moment where Knut's taken over and he has uh, reestablished his rule because, you know, that was also all very contested. You know, this is a very contested period of, of English history. And it says, and then he he cast around for a noble wife and he brought Emma as an ornament from across the sea. And she's in, uh, she's across, actually, she's she's had to flee because her, other, oh, her old husband has been killed, right? So she's right. in... Um, She's in Normandy, which is where she comes from. She's uh, And so she's kind of across the sea. And so he brings her back. But there's no mention that he brings her back, you know, because what he's doing also, right, is marrying into, by marrying the old king, the dead, the dead king's new wife, um, mm-hmm. he's also kind of buying into the legitimacy through Emma. Um, right. You know, don't worry, there is some continuity here. It's not just uh, not just some upstart who's come in. Where we're, we're doing we're doing this properly, you know, marrying in, marrying the new wife. Uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's really cool. And so the text is this manuscript is really kind of at the sharp end of court politics, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really like it. I don't know if you do want to look at the marginal drawings, but I would. Uh, there are some really fun ones. Yes, I would like to, Love to. Uh, especially uh, if they're fun. Okay, so on 46 Recto, there is a really fun drawing of a king pointing at the text. Oh, look at that. <laughs> yeah, which I really like. Um, I Talking of Lord of the Rings, uh, Lindsay, I feel like this is a very kind of, it kind of looks like one of the statues from the film, doesn't it? I always it that, I <laughs> that is quite a finger he's sporting there. It's like a manicule with a king attached to it. <laughs> exactly. And there are other, like extremely badly drawn manicules in the text of these kind of finger pointing hands. There are there are a load of them, but they're really I was making some notes before I came on and I was like one of my notes just says bad manicule. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on the next page. Bad manicule 46 uh, 46 versos. So yeah, there's kind of like you just they just like couldn't really be bothered. Um, so there's a note that's been written under this under the king on 46 recto when that's later clearly do you and what is it can you say what it says and maybe who do we know who made it or why well um by the late middle ages we know that this manuscript because it's uh it says on the front um the front leaf um we know this manuscript was at the uh, St. Augustine's Abbey in Canterbury. Um, So on the very front page of the manuscript, um, it says, uh, Liber Sancti Augustini Cant, which is the ownership mark um, of the Benedictine Abbey. And uh, and they call it Gesta Knutonis on the front on the front frontis on the front like the page before the frontispiece, um, which means the the deeds of Knut, right? So they're obviously interested in it for that reason, right? They're interested in it for being a record of the deeds of Knut. And all the way through, there are these marginal notes. Um, there, 
Um, I will defer to the paleographers here, uh, 14th or 15th century, uh, depending on which one is which. Uh, I think this one's, uh, I think this one is um, 15th, yeah, 14th or 15th, and there's some 16th century ones as well. I think this one's probably 15th century. Um, And they're from the later monks, uh, often, we think, writing uh, history books. So we think that they're, they're kind of, their marginal annotations that and so one so there were they go all the way through and some of them are glossed in the margin so on um folio five recto um uh Sveni in the text so of spain um is glossed swainus in english in the margin so there's some kind of english glosses and there's also english glosses of place names throughout so there's kind of contemporary Glosses, so the place name, the Latin place name is glossed into English. Um, uh, so, like at one point, they write sandwich in English, which is a, an English place name, and uh, it's a gloss of the of the Latin place name. And they do that all that kind of all the way through. And so we think it is kind of notes notes towards a history. Yeah. Got it. Um, and gonna... yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just looking for the other ugly manicule that's on. Oh yeah. Yeah, the next page. Yeah, there's like a little. This one Mm. is like a flipper, (laughs) I think. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. It looks like something an AI would come up with. Right. AI draw me me a hand, and it's like I don't know. You're so right. It does look like the weird AI fingers. <laughs> um, and there, there are the okay. So my favorite. I'm going to show you my favorite marginal thing in this manuscript. So if you go to sixty recto, um, in the bottom right, there's an emoji. Can you see it? In the margin, in the bottom right of sixty recto. In the bottom, in like the, in the right, in the right margin. margin. Yes, I see it. Yes, <laughs> see it. I can't. I can't tell what it is. If you turn your head. Yeah, it's uh, it's two eyes. Oh. Like you know, there's that emoji that look that's two like surprised eyes. I think mm-hmm. it really looks like that. Like two surprised <laughs> eyes. Oh, gosh. Oh, it does. Okay, now I see it. Yeah, that's funny. No, I can see just, like moving her head backwards. <laughs> Try and yeah. yeah, I'm like trying to find it. Oh, that's so funny. So the reason for this is if you look in the text on the same line, you see it says oculi. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So this, this is my favorite. I think this is my favorite thing about this manuscript. So Alfred, um, Emma's second son by her first husband. I hope you're all keeping track. I should have put on every tree. Um, uh, comes back from Normandy and he comes back to England and he's caught by uh, Earl Godwin and he has his eyes put out oh. Ooh. and then he's killed. And so oh. this marginal annotation is to... It's like his- 
exactly to record the bit in the text where he had his eyes put out. So it's like the eyes emoji in the in the margins. That's dark. I know. That's so dark. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I really like it. And it's not, it's, it's, you know, it's not contemporary. It's, this is again, the, probably 15th century, right? And yeah, so this yeah. is, I just love to imagine, right? We're in, we're in St. Augustine's Abbey in Canterbury. It's the 15th century. You're doing a bit of historical reading, right? You're like a kind of scholarly monk. You get to this bit and you're like, ha And you just eyes. little eyes in the margin. Just so that when you're flicking through later, you can find the bit where... Uh... Where the eyes were mentioned. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's, that's even better that he wasn't, he wasn't doing it. He was doing it as like a placeholder. So it's I... like, well, I drew the eyes there, so I'll be able to find it next time. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's a place. I I imagine it as a placeholder. That is how it. Because all the other ones are kind of like running titles. So it'll say things like Emma Emma brought across or Knut dies or Eric, Duke Eric here. So I like to think of this one too as a kind of gloss of what's happening in the text, except in visual form. I love it, and that instead of making any making like a note with words he you know yeah. little like that's fun that is funny that's funny and i think it is i true. wonder if he thought it was funny i swear i would think so my feeling is that he thought it was funny i think just as well because of the way that it's drawn like it it's kind of so the eyes are drawn almost look like teardrops and then there's like little um they they look like they're out of their sockets like the the, there's kind of sockets behind that have also been drawn in and then yeah. kind of like little arrow to the so yeah when I look at it I feel like this is a joke that the monk is after a long day of reading a joke that the monk has had with himself as he's history homework or whatever um, yeah I like it it's little things like this that I know I say this every time but like the humanity of the people who are doing this like they're all just people they're medieval people but they also read, read a line that says they took his eyes out and went, oh, my gosh. Yeah, and exactly. Kind of went teehee. And, yeah. Uh, and it's uh, the other thing that uh, like a few pages earlier, so uh, 58 or so, um, talking of them being people like it's uh, sewn together. The manuscript. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. So I it, love that. But I think. If you look, it looks like it's been repaired before they wrote it because it doesn't go through any of the letters. Um, so I don't know if it was, it was kind of, you, you see, like the, the tear doesn't mm -hmm. go through any of the letters as far as I can tell. Right. And you can see it on the other side. It's the same. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. And it's been mended before, um, yeah before it was before it was written written on yeah because the because yeah, the text comes it the text does come right up to it but it doesn't it doesn't go in the middle it yeah. cross it at any point as far as i can tell but i think it's so beautifully mended it's kind of it's like it's sewn with more hide i think and then on the other side it's been kind of glued or something um yeah I just think it's a really nice, they were like, oh, we don't want to waste this piece of manuscript. Um, mm -hmm. 
I also think, you know, because we were talking about how it's a presentation copy, right? It's, it's this like, lovely copy for his, for his benefactor. But I think what this shows is that whoever the scribe was was like, oh, she probably won't read past the first few pages, you know? Um, <laughs> the text is in Latin, but we don't actually think that Emma could read in Latin. So okay, she wouldn't have been reading it herself anyway. Mm. So I, I like that. I like that kind of sewing part of it. Yeah. No, it's nice. It's a nice reminder. Like, even in this really fine manuscript, it's like, well, we don't want to waste the parchment. Right. You know, you can do it with little bits from the edge of a bigger parchment anyway. Like, it's, it is it is such mm-hmm. a little, a little tiny manuscript. Um, and that also, I kind of like to imagine Emma kind of carrying it around in her, in her mm-hmm. big pockets or something, you know? I mean, it's definitely of a size to be carried around. Like, the fact that it's so tiny kind of implies that. Exactly. It's very um, portable. It's a very portable manuscript size. And there are some nice initials, but they didn't finish them. So another another part of the manuscript that makes me think about the people who made it is that. So on 54 Recto, there's an initial that they just haven't put in. No, it looks like there's an initial. And, well, it's been, it looks like it's been written in in pencil, but I don't know if that's yes. maybe somebody later did that. I don't know if somebody, I think that might have been contemporary, but the other initials are all uh, decorated and colored. So I think this is mm-hmm. space for an initial. So there's a big M, but it's not, mm-hmm. um, they haven't kind of done anything with it. Right. Um, there's also a space. So there's the, the M that's missing and then there's three lines and then there's space for another line and then half a line. Would that have been rubric like red is that space? I think so. So it so some of the other, if we can go back to the first one, so that's on two recto. This is actually a really lovely initial, I think. Oh, nice. Uh, it's a nice, it's a big kind of snaky S. Uh, and you can see that right at the beginning, um, it's written in a lot of different colors. So we've got a red line, a green line, a red line, a blue line. Um, and also the actual initial is kind of colored in the background in uh, probably what would have been a yellow, but has faded a lot or maybe an orange. Mm-hmm. And I really like this because it's kind of a like a fish with legs eating a dragon. It itself seems to be eating another one of the fishes with legs. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, because he's got his tail. Yeah. The, the fish with legs has this great tail that actually has very pretty blue sort of right on the on the end. And the tail that's coming out of the dragon's mouth has that same blue and the same look as the tail. I always thought this would make a, make a good tattoo if anyone's name starts. <laughs> It would make an excellent tattoo. So. Right. If any, if any of your listeners has names that starts with S, like I can recommend. None of the none of the ones fit any of my first names because there's another one which is an R on eight recto, another initial, but it's not I think as nice as this one. I think this is the best one. No, this one doesn't have color the way the other one does. It's still pretty nice That's for a nice R. It doesn't. Oh no, it does. It's got a little more little critters eating each other. Yeah, yeah more little beastie guys. I don't know what he's supposed to be. Uh, very unclear. Little dragon being eaten by a I don't know what a dog. A dog. You're right, but then it's kind of interesting because it doesn't. Yeah, they're not. They're not easily identifiable animals, I think. Mm-hmm. I agree. <laughs> but I like this one because it kind of looks like the dog 
thing is sitting on the top of a column. Um, mm-hmm. It looks kind of like the columns in the first image, like that surround Emma. So the top of the column yeah. looks kind mm-hmm. of cool. And I really like the, yeah, I think the flowers on this one are nice too. There's some kind of little trefoil things that are quite nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, I think it might have had some orange on it originally. And so it says it's Regem, King of the Danes, Danorum, Sreinum. So Swain, King of the Danes. Um, but Danorum and Swainum would have been red and maybe even a little bit of like gold leaf or something, but it's kind of come off now. So we think that maybe, or maybe it was an ink with copper in it or something. It's like something has faded. Because obviously, I have seen it. Um, it's amazingly well preserved considering how old it is. You know, it's, ten, it's almost, almost a thousand years old uh, and it still looks really, it still it looks really good. <laughs> Yeah. I wonder if it, it might have had silver in it too, because I know silver tarnishes. Tarnishes, yes. Dark, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point, actually, because it is quite dark. And then 19 Verso, there's another initial, which is an M, but that one's not as impressive. Um, but if you see in this one, you can see how you have the end of the end of book one and beginning of book two. Um, so it has uh, the also very well organized so you know manuscripts are not normally I think this well organized so it was very clearly planned in advance and it has all of the you know it has the space for the initials and obviously somebody else has done those and it has it has the rubrics for the beginning of the first book the end of the first book and at the beginning it says in incipit prologus and explicit prologue and incipit argumentum it has a prologue and an argument what, what is the argument? So it's kind of interesting. So the prologue is addressed to Emma and then the the argument, it kind of tells you what it's about and it's addressed partly to Emma and partly to the reader. And it kind of, that's the bit where it says like, you might think that this isn't very much about Emma, but it actually all is about praising her, which I think is really interesting because the first, in terms of the amount of the book that has Emma in it, she only arrives kind of... A, couple of two maybe two thirds into the second book of the text Mm -hmm. is in three books and she kind of only arrives towards the end of the second book when she marries Knut and so I think it's interesting that it has this argumentum which is it's kind of saying oh no it is it is all about Emma really (laughs) (laughs) it's everything before Emma is simply leading up to Emma and then she's there yeah so it's an interesting text for that reason Lindsay, do you have any questions? I found, just skipping through, one other ugly little gargoyle manicule. I can't remember what page it was on, but he was rather charming. Yeah, there are some funny, the module, they're very kind of scratchy as well. You can kind of imagine somebody with like not very good light kind of scratching them into the margins. Uh, And there's more than one like different hand. So I think it was obviously being read a bit after it was written. I'm amazed at how legible this is compared to some of the other manuscripts we've looked at. This is very readable. Why you need to be an early medievalist. They hadn't, you know, they hadn't got to that point where they started writing 
comprehensively yet. I actually really can't, and my biography is really bad, so I can't read later my table handwriting kind of at all. Like I was looking the other day, doing a bit of work on some law text, and I was looking at some of the, like a picture of one of the plea rolls, which is the records of the court of the city of London. And I just couldn't read a thing, you know? I could read, when the Latin was was edited, I could read it okay. And in the, t- I was just like, I don't know where the words start. I don't know where the words end. It's impossible. I'm just so used to this incredibly kind of, it, it almost feels like handwriting's kind of come back round, you know, when you think of calligraphy, this is this kind of very easy calligraphy to read. And there's not that many abbreviations. There'll be, there's some, but not loads. Uh, so there'll be like a line instead of writing an M at the end. And then there'll be kind of the thorn, right? So that it kind of looks like a P. One of the old English letters, the kind of thorn, will have a line through it, and that'll be fat sometimes. Okay, I have found an extremely ugly manicule. Oh, <laughs> it's on it? 50 verso, right up at the top. <laughs> yeah, and they really weren't trying very hard with these. Like, <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> that thumb is a big that's a big thumb right there. <laughs> I don't know what this uh for I don't know which bit of text this is. I'm trying to read that marginal note. I actually can't read it. I mean there you go, you see. I can read the text, but I can't read the marginal notes. They're too much there. I don't know what's happening. But this is interesting actually because there are some more uh just right next to the manicure there are some more abbreviations in that and some like very nice punctuation it's like a kind of set like colon with like a squiggle in the middle which mm-hmm. is really nice and there's also uh there's a nice ampersand the kind of et has really already turned into that ampersand shape I always tell my students, probably someone told you this already on the on the podcast, but I always tell my students that it's cool that, so the Tyronean nota, which looks like a seven, is almost always used in Old English manuscripts, um, and it means that. But it's on the same keyboard key now, the seven, as the ampersand. So I like... I've noticed that, yeah. Yeah, yeah that you have those two kind of different ways of doing and in manuscripts. But yeah, I think the ampersands in this are really nice. Yeah, it is just, it's very, it is very, it's a lovely hand. It's very easy to read. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how well the ink has survived. When I first started working, the, the, this is how long I've been working on this manuscript. When I first started working on this manuscript, um, I know, the Bridget, British Library hadn't digitized it yet. Um, and now it is fully digitized. So in the last 12 years that I've been thinking about this manuscript, they've uh, they've digitized it. Um, oh, I have one more thing that I wanted to show you. I forgot. So this image is also from that uh, Boulogne manuscript that I was telling you about, Boulogne Summer Bibliothèque Municipale. And if you look at the bottom, there's an image of Mary. It's the Annunciation. So it's the angel Gabriel appearing to Mary. Oh. And... This is one of the very first images in the West. Laura Setfight Miles talks about this in in her book and, and in an article she wrote for Speculum, which is really good, of the Virgin Mary with a book at the Annunciation. There are only two Western examples that she's found before this one. What what year was this? This is about contemporary with the uh, Emma manuscript, right? Yes, yeah, so this one is. I think l- latest date on this one is uh, around ten oh six, so it's early right. early eleventh earlier. And it comes from the same 
monastery, Saint-Bertin, that the, we know the writer of the Emma manuscript, uh, well, not the Emma manuscript, the writer of the text came from because right. he talks about how he was there. Um, but the reason I like this one as because it's in the same the same manuscript as the evangelist portrait is that I think, you know, that it's kind of precedent for using those evangelist signal signals mm-hmm. for talking about a woman. Yeah. Because we've got the curtains are doing the same thing behind the curtains and wrapping around the Yeah. Um wrapping around the columns. Yeah. And there's wrapping around the columns, yeah. And then also you've got the book, which is kind of covered with a, like, hold up on the cloth. Yeah. So I think it's, um, it's, I mean, we obviously, we don't know, but I think it, it's kind of making meaning in the same way that image of Emma has, has this image of, of Mary. Uh, and I also just, I mean, this is, this is a kind of second favorite manuscript, right? <laughs> so I'm like, I'm sneaking <laughs> extra one in. I think this is an absolutely beautiful gospel book. Lots more colors. The Encomium manuscript doesn't have, it's not a really beautifully illuminated one, right? I'm sure you've seen some nice ones with lots of gold. Um, but this one is, uh, this the Bibliothèque Municipale one is very beautiful. There's a lot of gold. Mm. Leaf. No, it's nice. I like the other one too. I really do like that. The illustration of Emma at the front and getting the context is it, it just makes it even better like understanding what it was that they were doing with that yeah I think this it has a lot of layers you know because it 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 really is her kind of yeah that kind of statement and it's also interesting because if you look at the book one of the nice things about the British Library digitization is that if you look at the book in the Emma manuscript, uh, the image of Emma in the manuscript, the book that she's holding, you'll see the monk is holding it up with his hand and she's holding it with both of her hands. But if you have a look at the thumb of her son. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. He's got it too. He's got it too, but it was drawn in afterwards because the line of the book goes through his thumb right so he's got his thumb on it but that is something that wasn't originally there and has been drawn in after the book was drawn in whereas if you look at emma's hands and the the, yeah. book, the line of the book doesn't go through her hands her fingers oh that's great yeah so i think that's also really i think it's another moment where it's like i'm in charge oh but my sons are also here <laughs> you know? yeah oh better better add his hand you better add in his case he sees it in, just in case yeah. Just in case. I don't want to make him mad. He might send me away. Sorry. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I don't know if this happened afterwards, but if you look at the monk, um, you can see this kind of hole on his face. Yes. And you actually can't see that on the other side of the manuscript very well. I think it. I think it is there. I think it's been fixed. But I don't know if that mm. was contemporary or not. Interesting. I kind of feel like maybe it wasn't and they added it in afterwards, but then also like it, it got broken at some point or like something bit mm-hmm. I've never been able to I've never been able to work that out whether that was always there, that little hole and they drew round it. Um like the, the bit that was the stitching. Yeah, I I've never been able yeah. to work it out. I think I think that if there was a hole in the parchment when it was made, they would have used different parchment. That's kind of what I think, right? For the kind of presentation miniature, like this miniature at the beginning, yeah. they would have been like, oh, we'll use the one with the hole in for like a later. Like, no. <laughs> later no. Yeah, so I wondered whether one of those monks like dropped some 
drop some wax on it or something or like or it was a bug bite or I don't I don't know anyway so it's it has been but it has been fixed because you can see from Mm -hmm. the side of like you can see from the other side that it's been fixed yeah I just think that's kind of interesting too and I just think she has has kind of a nice face you know I feel like there's a lot of character in all their expressions in a way that I don't know other contemporary manuscripts partly perhaps because they're a little bit more formal so something like Benedictional of Ethelwald which is this very kind of deluxe 10th century manuscripts it's quite a lot earlier but it has this kind of beautiful but they all their you know lots of gold and very kind of beautiful but all their faces are very static whereas I feel like in this one they are all kind of looking at each other and I think their eyebrows are really good especially her like the sons the sons both have really really intense eyebrows yeah the one on the sun on the right there he looks almost surprised like oh right. this is all right. very interesting at her from the margins and i another thing i really like is how her crown is so much bigger than theirs and how it has those kind of frothy foliage decorations whereas their crowns are like much smaller and don't have those i like it so I really, yeah, I just, it's such a nice, it is such a nice image. Um, I, I love her little dimples and yeah. the, they've even mm-hmm. included her little double chin. Yeah. I, yeah. Her little chin. <laughs> and, you know, and that's kind of, you know, we were talking about it. She's, she's in her, in her fifties in this image. Right. And so I do think there's something kind of nice about that, but that yeah. it's flattering, but still honest. I, I think that's kind of nice. And then her, her sons are kind of, we think that it's probably Edward and then Hartha Knut, but there's no way of knowing. So Edward in the middle and then Hartha Knut off to the side, but we're not totally sure. Um, and maybe, you know, she she might have told each of them, you know, this kind of, but they also kind of overlap in a funny way. Like their bodies don't quite work. They almost mm-hmm. look like a two-headed person. Right? Oh, they do. <laughs> look at that. That's odd. Yeah, yeah. So their bodies kind yeah. of, and he's literally the the one on the right is literally kind of at the margin of the like he overlaps with the column in a slightly odd way. They do in terms of the way the composition looks. I I really do feel like they look like an afterthought, you know. <laughs> the image would work just as well without them in. It looks to me almost mm-hmm. as though. Well, no, I was going to say it's like they were going to draw the one on the left and leave out the one on the right but because he looks so squished in there like he was an afterthought but he's not mm-hmm. so some of the portraits of Angelus, like lots of gospel writer portraits to kind of think about how they looked similar and one of the things that they have is that the gospel writers all have an attribute right so like mark has the lion and like john has the eagle and they're all often depicted with them but often they will be depicted like coming out of the margins of the image so like i, I kind of wonder whether they're they're almost like in that in that position in the image of like the the, the mm-hmm. gospel writers kind of familiar or whatever that is funny i just every time i look at the image even now when i'm talking to you about it every time i look at it i i see different in it it just it just feels like a bit it feels just slightly amateurish in a way that i really like mm-hmm. you know because it is like yeah. a manuscript copy but it's not a really fancy manuscript copy they're good at drawing but they're not great at drawing so i just i, I kind of feel like uh yeah it's a it's it's just kind of a I find it yeah kind of pleasing for that reason that's interesting I was just noticing that she's sitting on a building 
yeah too, which seems like which feels like a church like a church church kind of thing like jesus sits on a church i don't know did i just make that up i feel like this is something i should know but it seems relevant that she's not sitting on a chair yeah she's sitting on some kind of building yeah so these kind of architectural thrones are fairly common not again in in evangelist portraits so the one that i sent you he's kind of sitting in it, it doesn't have the arches underneath it mm. it does have mm-hmm. yeah, a kind of building building uh <laughs> it looks like he's sitting in a very fancy outhouse yeah right it does kind of <laughs> with the curtain with the curtain <laughs> a little hut with a curtain but actually these kind of like architectural thrones like we do see them elsewhere in in kind of early medieval english and french art why they had those arches in them and they say oh well well it might be a kind of portrait of heavenly jerusalem or you know it it, it it's this kind of sense of a kind of imagined city place i guess but it, in in your in your chair in your in your throne but yeah i don't know why emma has that one i like it i want to say that we've seen in other manuscripts that Lindsay and i have looked at yeah there have been architectural things going on with thrones so you're right that that's sort of a, a thing that is definitely around little pointy toes pointy toes yeah the pointy toes make me think of the the hunterian psalter which is also an early english Mm. manuscript much fancier than this one but that was our first episode we looked at that and it had that style of art so is there anything anything else that you want to look at before i make Lindsay ask you her personal questions that she likes to ask (laughs) all of our all of our guests (laughs) So I think I've told you all of my all of my favorite things about the manuscript, I think. Yeah. Mostly the eyes. That that was what I really wanted to remember to tell you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I like the eyes a lot. I like her. I like Emma. I like her. I know. I think that's the thing. I think you know I, I have this kind of uh you can, you can see why I you can see why I kept looking at the image again. I think it has a mm-hmm. it has something about it. But yeah, I think I'm I think I'm good. Well, the two questions that I always want to know about everybody we talk to is what got you into the manuscript world? I mean, was it a book you read as a child? Was it an encounter in a museum with something amazing? What got you into this world? I guess for me, I mean, I've always been, I'm, I grew up in Northumberland, so in the northeast of England. And we have a lot of early medieval things here, but also kind of more importantly, perhaps the kind of Roman things. So as a child, uh, I'm from Corbridge, uh, which is a little village in the north of England. And there was a little girl in the, I think, 19th century found this huge silver Roman platter down by the river. It's called the Corbridge Lanx, L-A-N-X. Uh, it's in the British Museum now. And she dug it up. She was this kind of poor, this little girl was, I don't she was maybe washing something, only playing by the river. Anyway, she dug up this huge silver tray. And as a little girl in Corbridge, I always thought that maybe I would like find a huge Roman artifact by the river. So I always used to, me and my dad used to go down like every weekend. I'd be like digging in the mud by the river, being like, maybe it's now, maybe I find like, it. Is, it's like tea tray size, this huge silver Roman object. Oh, wow. And I, I never did find it. Um, but I went on to study English at university. 
and that was when I was introduced to manuscripts and in my first week I went to I went to Cambridge and in my first week at St John's College Cambridge we went into the library uh at St John's and they've got a, a medieval Chaucer manuscript and the the guy just handed it to to me and I was like I don't think I'm allowed to this you know? <laughs> I, I don't I don't think I you know I'm like 18 you should you should take this back and he's like just flip through it it's been around for like 600 years you know you're not going to do anything to it now yeah. seven yeah. years and yeah so I really uh, had that experience and then I went I did my master's at the University of Leeds in medieval studies and they have a lot of medieval manuscripts in the library uh, and Mary Swan took me up there as part of our research methods class and I was a lot we were to like look at all the manuscripts on like come and stroke this one and move your hand that way you can feel the hair on the manuscript Mm -hmm. right this is the hair side and this is the skin side and I've always so it's kind of since then I've always been interested yeah in like history stuff but I think that's when I when I got really interested in manuscripts so in my work I I look at them a lot but I don't I don't really use them a lot right I'm a literary scholar Mm -hmm. I tend to work from editions but whenever I'm teaching I always show students the pictures of the manuscripts I think that sense of the material of 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 medieval Mm -hmm. stuff is yeah I think yeah somewhere inside me is that like little girl like digging for Roman coins you're, hold, you're holding history in your hands. It's yeah. a very special experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I have to say, coming from the other side, being a, a curator who I work with manuscripts mm. constantly, like all the time, and I love getting someone in who's never touched, yeah. you know, who's never had a book before and seeing them be like that. Where I'll be like, here, you, you know, you look at this. And they're just like, oh, my God, like exactly that. I'm 18. I can't. And it's like, no, 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 you can actually. It's yeah. totally fine. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's going to be okay. I love that. Yeah, I, lo- I just, it's I love that. Experience. Yeah, getting to do that a lot. Yeah. Okay. And my second question is, is there a manuscript and you could have met it before? Or it could be a new one to you that you would just love to sit down and get your hands on. Oh, Oh, that's such a hard question because I actually have seen this one, right? So it, before I met the the uh, British Library Additional three three two four one, the catchily named, uh, it would have been this one. But I have actually sat. I've been lucky enough to go to the British Library and sit down with this one. Um, I think that I would have to say, I feel like this is this is like a stock early medievalist answer, but there are two. I would really love to see the Vicelli manuscript. Uh, yes. my, yeah, my yeah. script of early medieval poetry and sermons, which is in Vicelli. So you also get to go to Vicelli, which in, in Northern Italy, which is lovely. Uh, it's on this pilgrimage route. And even though um, I, I did see it when it came to the British Library's early medieval exhibition, mm-hmm. which was amazing. So that's the other thing is that I was in the room with all of these. It was like being in a room full of celebrities <laughs> when I went to the, I went twice and I took my friend and my poor friend, who is not a medievalist and not a manuscript scholar, I was like, <laughs> you have to come and look at them, like giving a lecture to her because the encomium was like, like, I was like, look, you can see this and you can see this. And then my partner has this video of me and he like pans around. There's just like all these people behind me. <laughs> like, they obviously don't was- like listening to you. That's great. And I'm like, it's not an official gallery trick. I just got overexcited. Like you can, I would really like to be able to spend some time with the Bocelli manuscript. And you know, the Beowulf manuscript, they never let anyone look at it. 
I'm sure they won't let me look at it. I don't even work on Beowulf, but I would love to see the wonders of the East illustrations. In there's these beautiful illustrations of kind of mythical mythical beasts in the wonders of the East manuscript, which is the Beowulf manuscript. And I would love to see those in person. But now, it's, now they've digitized it, I'll never be able to go. Which is fair enough, you know. I don't even work on it. I just want to look at it. <laughs> Good choices. Good choices. Good choices. Yes. Oh, so many. So many gorgeous manuscripts. I'm interested right? in what manuscripts you two want to see. You probably talked about this already. Um, maybe. I don't think we have. We haven't. We, <laughs> Nobody's we... made me answer this question. I know, it's such a hard question. Someday we will have an inter- have an episode where I interview Dot about her favorite manuscript. <laughs> you should interview each other. That would be awesome. <laughs> I think that would that would be fun, but you but Lindsay, do you have a manuscript that you would like to see? Honestly, my favorite thing in the world to see, and I look for new ones all the time, are hedgehogs depicted in medieval manuscripts, oh. and they they just tickle me. Hedgehogs are my my favorite animal. I have two pet hedgehogs, and I just love seeing how they're depicted in art throughout the ages. What are your so, pet hedgehogs called? I, one is called Ophelia. She is the sweet one. And then I have another one who is her sister, who is extremely grumpy and <laughs> sounds like a hissing cockroach most of the time. Her name is Henrietta, but we love her anyway. <laughs> yes, I've met Henrietta and she was kind of growling the whole she was not happy to meet me i was like hi and she was just like i'm gonna crawl under a blanket and pretend that you don't exist so she's not a happy not a happy hedgehog but no but ophelia she's a sweetie she's the one that likes to snuggle she'll get up under your shirt and just hang out so so you want to see a manuscript that has hedgehogs in it? i want to see a manuscript that has hedgehogs in it i'm not picky over which one that's really cool oh god I should have come up with an answer for this by now, considering this is what I make people do on my weekends. You know, I think the lateral, I think that maybe the lateral salter. Yeah, I'd <laughs> love to see the lateral salter. Yeah, just because it's so, it's got, it might even have hedgehogs in it. I don't know. Nice. Um, <laughs> I bet it has hedgehogs. Yeah, but it's such a, it's just, and I actually, um, I've seen it because I, I didn't actually get to that exhibition, the big exhibition, but I've been to the BL before that and they had it on in the, in a case. And so I was able to see it in a case and it actually affected me very emotionally, which is weird because I wouldn't, it's not my favorite manuscript. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's so interesting. It's got, you know, little like weird little like the weirdest monsters like there are weird <laughs> monsters in a lot of manuscripts like the lateral salter has like the weirdest guys in there you know and that but then it's also got the sets of illustrations that are like pastoral life you know it's let's cute. go get some horses and 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 it's just Ooh. i don't know it's just so really weird <laughs> and it's a salter yeah. it's like the psalms <laughs> who cares about the psalms it's got all this interesting stuff in it Psalms full of monsters. I love that. Psalms full of monsters. Yeah, I guess you know, keep keep you keep you going while you're looking at the monsters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, this I don't know makes the psalms adds interest to the psalms. I think so. I think so. Well, this was really fun. Thank you so much. Thank you both. 
this was great. I really, I really loved learning about this manuscript. This is what I'm going to be thinking about. And I really loved learning about Emma herself. What an interesting yes. lady. Yeah, she's super interesting. I gave this very poorly received conference paper in which I was like, well, there's one manuscript of Beowulf and one manuscript of the Encomium. Why are you all reading Beowulf? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a legitimate question, I think. I'm sorry your audience didn't appreciate that. It's was like, there's dragons and it's a poem and it's like really fun. But like, I like, the Encomium is not that fun to read. I mean, it's also in Latin. But I think, you know, there are kind of, like, reasons to do with, like, you know, misogyny that we mm-hmm. we that we read Beowulf, like the poem about loads of dudes, and we don't read the Encomium, which is, is you know, it's a similar, similar time period. We also, they were equally important at their own time if we, you know, go to talk about importance in relation to manuscript survival. So I don't know, like... I mean, it was a deliberately provocative conference paper, but I think I think I had yeah. a point. <laughs> I think you had a point, and I, maybe there's something there because there are actually women in the Beowulf story. Yeah, and I don't actually know how much attention I have written a paper about them. Actually, my first published paper was about the women oh. in Beowulf, but I don't know, like if I only learned about them, I'd read Beowulf in high school, mm-hmm. and I don't. I'm sure that we mentioned that there was a queen, but you know, I, I didn't really think about them until I was reading it in college as a medieval studies major. Right. And I actually reading these two texts together, because like, that's the thing about Emma's life is it's so interested in like the practical dimensions of what it means to be royal, right? Like it, it really brings out a lot of those questions about like, how do we rule properly? And you know, there, are, there are a lot of different heirs to the throne. What does legitimate rulership look like? How do we kind of convey that? And those are questions that I think they all is really interested in too, you know? It's like, who rules? Why do they rule, right? And obviously right. not like immediately... Um, but they're not, they're not. I mean, Beowulf has been compared to weirder things, I guess is what I would say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I think there's definitely something there. Because I know that one of the things that um, Wealthiao, Hrothgar's queen, was was very concerned about her son and like maintaining, because here comes this guy from outside and she's like, no, my son, like she's worried about Beowulf taking over and that so anyway now we're going off on a, yeah, on a tangent like but a I whole that's... different podcast but anyway that that was cool. it was the yeah that's exactly because you know the, the manuscripts created the Beowulf manuscripts created like 40 years before this manuscript ish mm-hmm. right? um obviously yeah. you know can argue about the day of Beowulf like, we can't start that but we no <laughs> let's not go there <laughs> the manuscript is is very is contemporary right uh yeah almost contemporary so Almost contemporary. All right. That's great. Okay. We should stop now. So, but thanks again, Catherine. This was. You both. Um, Yeah, this was really fun. I had a good time. Thank you for listening to Inside My Favorite Manuscript. Please, if you enjoy the podcast, leave a rating or a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Our website is insidemyfavoritemanuscript.tumblr.com, and there you'll find posts for all our episodes and a link where you can contact us directly. We'll be back again soon with another conversation about manuscripts and why we love them.